There can be no doubt that I'm a team player. <laughs> With this color. This color that probably once was Duke blue, but got washed a thousand times with Clorox or something. You know, you SEC people, in the ACC, there is a huge association with this color, a putrid association. I grew up in Cameron Indoor Stadium, and uh, that's, that's where... Uh, the Duke Blue Devils play. This is where Coach K. Y'all probably have been watching some of Coach K for the Olympics, um, coaching the Olympic team. Coach K, an amazing leader, an amazing uh, coach. As as much as I admire him and enjoyed watching Duke basketball growing up, uh, I don't. Uh, I think he would agree with me that the greatest basketball coach of all time was John Wooden. John Wooden won 10 national titles back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. First first player coach inducted into the Hall of Fame as a player and as a coach. Uh, Incredible, wise man of God. Somebody asked him one time, said, uh, well, you know, if you were to speak about your your faith, what would you say? He said, you know, I, I hope that if I were ever prosecuted for my faith, that there would be enough evidence to convict me. What a great expression. What a great image he paints there. The end of Romans chapter 8 echoes of that kind of prosecution or persecution of the church. Paul is talking about his faith as though he's being prosecuted for it. Is there enough evidence to convict you of your faith? That's, 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 the, that's where we're heading this morning. Having a life worth living is having a life whose, whose faith is so demonstrated that if you were prosecuted for it, there would be enough evidence. To convict. You see that Paul was writing during a time when the persecutions of the church began to rise. During Paul's letter, uh, when he wrote this letter to the Roman church, uh, Nero had assumed the throne and at age 17 was um, an indulged, spoiled child with tremendous power. Tremendous power. And so when when you hear Paul talking about his faith as though he were being convicted or as though he were being prosecuted for it, what's running in the background is the threat, the Democlean threat, that the, the idea that there's this saber hanging over you by a thread, that, that this Democlean threat that that Nero may just turn on him at any moment. And in fact, he does. Paul ends up paying with his life under Nero. Is there enough evidence to convict you? Would there be? If you were prosecuted for your faith. Hear God's word this morning from Romans chapter 8. Starting with 31 through the end of the chapter here. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, may we know you now through your word. Not just about you, but know you more. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A life worth living. What's, what's that look like? Do you have the evidence of a life worth living? What's the evidence of a, a life worth worth following. Steve Jobs, inventor of a personal computer, perhaps. Some people would say it that way. Steve Jobs started Apple, triggered this whole smartphone rage. He said, I want to make a ding in the universe. And you think, well, there's somebody worth following. There's somebody who did something significant, somebody who did something life-changing, right? Let's do a little thought experiment this morning. Now, now I want to I tell you, there was life before the smartphone. I know some of, y'all, some of y'all find that very difficult to believe, but there was life before the smartphone. There will be life after the smartphone. There was life before the Internet. There will be life after the Internet. What, it, what, what, how do we measure a life worth following? How do we measure a life of great influence? And do you have evidence in your life that you have a life worth following? So let's do a little thought experiment this morning. Let's, let's imagine that your house is on fire. All right? And upstairs, if you have an upstairs, just imagine you have an upstairs. If you don't have an upstairs, just imagine you have an upstairs. And upstairs on the bathroom counter are four boxes. And in, uh, in these boxes is, is one thing. There's one item in each box. And you, can, you, you have time to get three of the boxes, but you have to leave a fourth box behind. All right, everybody with me? All right. So four boxes, you have time to get three boxes, but you have to leave one behind out of the four. 
That's all you have time for. And whatever is in that box, you have to live without for the rest of your life. All right? You ready? Here's what's in the four boxes. Faith, hope, love, and you guessed it, your iPhone. (laughs) Droid, whatever. Which three do you choose? Which do you choose to live without for the rest of your life? Now, I, you know, I'm not comparing. I'm not, I'm not comparing Steve Jobs to to Jesus. I mean, what 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 Steve Jobs did was amazing. It's incredible. He 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 was creative in the way that uh, that God. Uh, it, it first mandated that we be created. He said to, to, to Adam and Eve, he said, you know, uh, subdue the earth, right? Build on what, you know, order what I have given to you. Explore it all. Build on it. So that's an amazing thing. But, but what makes an enduring ding on the universe? What makes a transcendent ding on the universe? Steve Jobs said, I wanted to make... A ding on the universe. What makes an enduring ding? In, in A.D. 33, the Caesar that was on the throne was not the Caesar I just mentioned a minute ago, Nero. Do you know the name of the Caesar who was on the throne? He was the most influential, powerful person in the world. He was the emperor of Rome, the Roman Empire, Right? And some of y'all are trying to guess. But the, the point of it, it's a rhetorical question. This isn't Sunday school. Think about it. Think about it. You don't know, do you? Would you put money on it? The most powerful man in the world, and you don't know his name. But you know another name. You know the name of the man who was the least powerful man at the time and the most influential. Jesus had the greatest effect and has the greatest effect on all human history. Well, by the way, it's Tiberius, but you know, it's fine. He got it wrong. Faith, hope, and love. Those are the marks of a life worth following. That's the evidence that would convict you of your faith. Faith, hope, and love. That you have, that you have something worth following. So let's take a look at faith, hope, and love. All right? Let's take a look at the marks of faith, hope, and love. You see, the series is getting wrapped up this morning, and, and, it's, and, and we have a blueprint behind me, and, and we've talked about the fact that you're under construction, Right? And so let's look at faith, hope, and love in terms of what God has done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Does that make sense? Faith in what God has done. Confident faith. Your confidence. Security in what God has done. Security and confidence in what he's doing. Security and confidence now in what he's going to do. First, faith. Faith is, is the assurance, all right? It's trust, 
A lot of times we think of, of faith as just sort of a belief, right? And we think of belief as just kind of you nod at something. You assent to it mentally, assent to it. But faith, and I've, I've said this before, I'll say it again, it's kind of like shifting your weight onto something. It's, it's, putting, it's so putting your trust on something that, that you shift the weight of your life onto it. It's trust. Now imagine that, that you're, you are, um, you're, you're a great uh, athlete and somebody says to you, you know, and, and maybe it's a, a John Wooden level coach, knows what he's talking about, and says to you, you know what, you have what it takes to be an Olympian. You have what it takes to be an Olympian. And what do you do with that information? You say, oh, that's really nice. How sweet. Hey, that's, a, I, that's, the, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. You know, I, I really appreciate that. That's so, that's so kind of that, that old gentleman to... To compliment me and I mean, do, do you just or do you say, gosh, that's really nice. I, I love the idea that I could be an Olympian. I love the idea, right? It's, but, but what if you what if you actually started to believe it? What would it look like? How would it be different from just saying, oh, isn't that nice? That's that's really a, a great thing. It gives it, it, I have faith that what he's saying is true is different from just simply agreeing with it or saying, isn't it nice? Faith is to begin to shift the weight of your life onto it. You see, a lot of us have a a formal relationship with the church or with our faith or with the scriptures or with Jesus. We have a formal relationship. The key here in what Paul is saying when he's saying, what then shall we say to such things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a man speaking from personal experience with God through Jesus Christ. This is a man who's recognizing that no matter what happens, there is the, the biggest question of his life. No matter how much Paul, the greatest persecutor of the church, will be persecuted for his faith, no matter how, how much he deserves death, the greatest question of his life has been answered. He has faith and security and confidence. Calvin put it this way, there's no faith without the accompaniment of assurance of faith. True faith, when you have an experience with Jesus Christ, that he has dealt with you personally, not just formally, not just in general, not just for all humankind, not just once upon a time, but he has dealt with you on a personal level. He's dealt with your sin. He's dealt with your brokenness. He's dealt with your shame. He's dealt with you, and you have done personal business with him, not just formal, not just nodding the head. When you have that experience, you have assurance, security. Look at verse 31 and 35 together. I already read 31. Let me read 35 to you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He uses questions that have a a presupposed answer. Nothing, no one, no how, no where, no way. Nothing shall separate us. That's the confidence he has in what has been done. You have been renewed, in other words. You see the 
the construction, you see the blueprints, picture this. You have been renewed. And so you begin to act like an Olympian. You begin to shift your weight onto, your weight of your trust of your life onto this truth about you, that you, that, that the most important question in your life has been answered and it's a done deal and your confidence rises. That's an outward mark. Assurance of faith is an outward mark. That your faith is not just formal, it's personal. But second, this, something is being done. Something has been done, something is being done, right? Hope. Hope is a confidence, a confidence in your present. A confidence that something that's being done in your present is being done for you. A confidence and an assurance that he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. There's a confidence, an outward confidence, that you're being built according to this blueprint. What blueprint? Well, the blueprint is Jesus. That's the blueprint. The blueprint of your life is Jesus. You want to have a life worth following? Have a confidence in what God has already done through you, for you through Christ. Have confidence of, uh, in your hope that, that what God is doing in your life right now is, is according to a blueprint of a life that you're following as you follow Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so if you want to have a life worth following, follow someone worth following. Somebody who did more to influence faith, hope, and love than anybody in all human history. And your hope, your hope is an outward manifestation of what he's doing. Your hope is a mark of evidence that can convict you that you really have had a true experience with the living God. That he's building you according to a blueprint. And you increasingly are beginning to look like Jesus. You're a work in progress, right? Beth and I, when we bought this house out in um, a place in the woods, we needed another bedroom for all these children that we have. And, and so we had, we had to build up the upstairs. We had to build out the upstairs. It was uh, ready to be built out, but it was just more of an attic. But there was another house almost identical in its blueprint to our house. And so uh, we hired somebody to do and, 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 and we walked through this other house that had already been completed. And he kept asking us, you know, how do you want this done? And we said, well, do it like the other house. You know, he said, how would you like this to be done? Well, you, you can see how we want it done. We already did the walkthrough. Just do it like that one. And so it was so easy for us just to say, you know, just point to the other one that was already completed and to say, do it like that. Finish it out just like that. Because neither Beth nor I has, you know, has that, that, that gift of being able to see things before. But, but, what, but what Paul is saying here in verses 33 and 34 is that there is, a, there is a picture of you that has already been painted. And so you as a work in progress can have the confidence like an Olympian to fail forward. Fail forward. Listen to this again. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
Some of you bristle at that word, elect. But see, the idea of election or predestination and all that is just to say, this is the experience of somebody who has a confidence about their future. This is a description of the experience of somebody who, who knows that they're forgiven. It's a way of saying, it's a done deal. God's already done it. And, and there's no merit of mine. And he's, he's still doing it. And I'm a work in progress. But there's a confidence that what he's building is already pictured. It's already pictured. So there is a present hope in what he's doing. And so even in our failures, we fail forward. You see, that's where the confidence is. That even in our failures, we fail forward. I, I love that, you know, when you, when you see the Winter Olympics, sometimes they, they show this, uh, the, 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 this uh, little uh, uh, montage of, of all these different Olympic moments. And they say the, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And you see the, the, the image of, you know what I'm talking about, the, the skier that kind of goes off course and goes over this awning. He ends up being okay. But, but it's just a crazy looking, you know, image. You know, we see, we see the gold medalist standing up on the platform in that moment of glory, but what we don't see is, is the falling down and getting back up and the falling down and the getting back up. The waking up at 4 a.m., the push, the failures, the try and try and try again. The idea... The idea and the ideal that's already painted in their mind, like I said a few weeks ago, Michael Phelps having that vision for his life, giving us a present hope that, that the blueprint of your life is already written, that you are being reconstructed according to a particular life, and that is the life of Christ. As we follow him, we have a life worth following. And finally this. Not only do we have a, a, a faith in a secure past and a hope in what God is doing that you're a work in progress, but we have love because we are a people who have a future with a loving Father. Now, when we say love, a lot of times it triggers sort of warm, fuzzy feelings or maybe... Maybe somebody thinks that, that, that the word of love, and when you talk about it outwardly, they kind of get uncomfortable, and they think it's sort of cheesy. But I'm talking about a love that is action, not attraction. Action, not attraction. You see, what Paul is saying is, what he's saying through all of this, this litany, it's almost this liturgical, poetic expression that, 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 you could, that I'm going to read at the very end of this service again for us. It's musical. What he's saying, and, and the way he's saying it, more is caught than taught. You see, he has a confidence of somebody who's loved. And loved people love people. Loved people love people. And so the outward expression of, of our life together is as of, of people who are citizens of a kingdom that is coming. And so when we see something that's not right in Thomasville or in the United States or in the world, then our expression of love is to get involved and, and to do something about it. You see, the evidence to convict the Christian is you will know them by the fruit. You will know them by their love. 
And so our faith is not just unto our, ourselves. If it's not formal, then, then, then our faith is confidence that we're not spending our lives dealing with our past, right? It's done. And our hope is that even when we fail, that we're failing forward, that God is at work doing something in and through us. And, and, and we can be honest and transparent with each other as we're works in progress according to the blueprint. And people of love, outward people of love, loved people, love people, see what's going on in the world and we recognize when it's not functioning as the kingdom of God and we want to make it right. See, people who are citizens of a kingdom that's yet to come, we begin to sense that, that there's this, this nagging purpose in us to be a part of the solution of what's going on around us in this community. That our faith has an effect that's outward in the lives of people around us. And I'm not just talking about knocking on a door and, and reading somebody the four spiritual laws. I'm talking about justice. I'm talking about taking your faith into the lives of other people. Yes, I'm also talking about taking your hope into the lives of other people. You see, loving people, people who are loved, love people. How do they love them? They share their faith. They share their hope. That's what love looks like. It's more action than attraction. It's it's a little bit like this. When when you and I, for you and I to be convicted of our faith, right? Right? For you and I to be convicted of our faith the way Paul was saying, I'm not afraid of Nero, right? I may be convicted of my faith, but who's going to condemn me? For you and I to be convicted of our faith, then the people around us have to see us as a people of love, have to see you as a person of love. That means you've been loved and you know how to love more action than attraction. And it means like this. It looks like this. I knew a guy who, who just went crazy. If you, if you went to the piano or played something like just a half measure of something, right? Da, 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 right? Just leave it like that. And you just kind of get all itchy and anxious and like have to go and then complete. Da, 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 Right? So I had to play. Just didn't know where to stop, right? Now, when you're a kingdom person, when you're a person who's loved, when you recognize that you're a citizen of the kingdom that's yet to come, but you know that the world is supposed to be part of that kingdom, that it's broken, you look out and you you have that same sense of incompleteness, that, that there's something that is not right and it needs to be put right. That's the kind of person that you're becoming because you're like Jesus. Because you're becoming like Jesus. You begin to see that when the kingdom around us in Thomasville in the United States or in the world is not what it should be or as it should be, that you are going to step in to make it right. There's a, there's a guy named Eric McTaxis. He lives in New York City. He's written a bunch of books, including one a biography by bon, about Bonhoeffer and and about Wilberforce, and there was a movie written called Amazing Grace. Maybe some of you all saw it. Eric McTaxis, his latest book is called If You Can Keep It. And it's based on the, this little conversation that uh, Benjamin Franklin had with a woman as he was coming out of the, the house in Philadelphia. They had just finished up the, uh, the Constitution. And a woman said, well, what are we going to have, uh, Dr. Franklin, a monarchy or a democracy? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. A republic, madam, if you can keep it. What does that mean? It means that a republic depends not upon who gets elected in November. A republic depends upon every citizen doing his part. Upon each one of us 
seeing that what makes the United States work is a model of what makes the kingdom work. What makes the United States work is everyone being a citizen and recognizing that everybody has something to bring. Now see, that's the kind of love to which we're called. Loved people love people. And so let me give you a few practical ways of doing this. You see, there are needs that come into our path every day, practical needs. You know what? Sometimes they're very inconvenient. Very inconvenient. They may, they may have you out on a Saturday doing something you didn't plan to do. There are needs that are in your path, and God put them there, and you can ignore them or you can step into them. There are nagging needs. There are needs that you know there are things are wrong with this world, and they, God has put that on your mind, on your heart, and they're never going to go away. You're always going to be haunted by these nagging needs, these burdens, until you step in and do something. There's, there's the neglect of standards in your workplace, in your home, in your social circles. There's the neglect of certain standards. There's the outright conflict of values where you know that this is the value that, that brings life and this is a value that, that leads to death and, and, and it's going to re- require some risk on your part, some personal risk. And then finally, there's this idea of systemic injustice. And in the coming year, we're gonna, I'm going to touch on this from time to time, the idea that we as a church have, have the responsibility to address injustice in our town, in our state, in our world, when we see it, to step in there to correct it. Because we're citizens of a kingdom that's coming. You have a past. You have a present. You have a future. Are they filled with faith, hope, and love? Enough evidence to convict you?